Thanks for tuning in to Hungry Gen Audio Podcast. It would mean the world to us if you could help us spread the gospel message of Jesus by subscribing to, sharing, and leaving a review on this podcast. We are believing to see thousands saved locally and millions globally. Thanks and enjoy this week's message. Before I begin, I want to say to you that I haven't been a perfect parent. I lost my temper, my kids, especially when we were doing family devotions. The kids would start giggling, pinching each other, not paying attention. And then they get my wife laughing, and I'm like, I'm trying to have family devotions here. And losing my temper. And I'm defeating the whole purpose of spirituality, right? My kids laugh, and we think about those times now. I'll tell you lots of stories. Jesus was a storyteller. I don't have any other stories but the stories of my life and my children. So I hope you don't think that it's bragging or saying I did everything exactly right. It's a learning process. There's no school for parents, really. You learn by doing, right? And for those who don't know, God blessed my children so incredibly much. My oldest son is a surgeon. He played professional baseball for the San Diego Padres for two years. He was player of the year in his college. And then he went into med school, a real underachiever. Um, and he, he works in Orlando and lives with his wife, Whitney, and two beautiful children. We just came from there. And God will greatly use my grandchildren. When they were putting them to sleep, I would tell them stories. And as they were snoring quietly, I put my hand and I started to pray blessings. And all the intercession of the Holy Spirit, all those sleeping children. Pray for your kids after they fall asleep. Because they'll squiggle when when they're alive (laughs) and awake. My second son is an officer in the U.S. Air Force, Luke. And uh, he's an athlete as well, played baseball. He's a golfer, played golf for four years. And he's a captain in the Air Force. He's a psychologist. So I have two... Sons who have doctorates, earned doctorates, two master's degrees. My daughter, Larissa, he's married to a Whitney. I have two Whitneys, his daughter-in-laws. And he has three beautiful children, two, two, two daughters and a son. And then my daughter, we lived by her in Springfield, Missouri. She married a finance guy, and she is a teacher in the school. And my wife is a nurse. And she has two, she has an older son and two beautiful, beautiful, beautiful daughters. You can see my family on George Daviduke on Facebook. It's a public page. Okay, so, um, yeah. Let's just bow our heads on a word of prayer. Jesus, I want to invite you to take my words and economize the time so I would say what you need me to say. I want to give you the honor and the glory and the praise from the outside outset because you're the ones who gave us a heritage of wonderful parents on my wife Esty's side and my side. Lord, we didn't deserve it, but we were born into a rich home of great parenting. And so, Lord, we modeled what we saw, and other people didn't have that heritage, and they're learning to try to be better parents. Would you give them more success than you gave us, Lord? Would you bless them with even 
more wonderful children than you gave us and grandchildren. And I thank you and I just honor you today in Jesus' name. Amen. So children are our arrows. Sons are a heritage. By the word, sons is generic, okay? It could be sons and daughters, right? I have a friend, his name is Andy. He has three daughters. He wanted a boy so bad. <laughs> so the three daughters are pregnant. Out of the three daughters of my friends, they have uh, eight children and they're all boys. <laughs> so he didn't have any granddaughters that are girls, but he had four women in the house. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are reward. Children are a blessing. Sometimes they're a pain in the neck, but they're a blessing. Then the Bible says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, our sons or children born in one's youth. The best time to have children is when you're young because you have energy to chase them. How are children like arrows? Let's look at an arrow. In the old days, that's what it was a, 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 a method that was used for uh, effectiveness in warfare. And so an arrow has a very, very sharp point. A blunt arrow will not penetrate. A blunt arrow will not, achieve, will not uh, achieve the purpose to which you send it. Second part of an arrow are the feathers or the fins at the end of the arrow. They provide stability. You see, if you have a long stick, and that's the third part of the arrow called the shaft, the shaft has to be perfectly straight. Otherwise, the arrow will wobble, go up and down, or circle. But the combination of a straight shaft, all right, which is balance, you could balance it on one finger. That's a good, that's a good arrow shaft. Today, they make them out of fiberglass, which is not bent. But before, they made it out of wood, and the wood had to be perfectly straight to fly true. And the feathers... They make the, the arrow fly true. Not only does it leave the bow in a straight line, it travels in a straight line and doesn't flip. If the shaft is bent, the wooden part, it'll curve left and right. Sharp point, stable fins, balanced wood or shaft. And then Natasha told us already, you have to aim your children. Arrows are meant to be sent in a certain direction, a target, yes? Then the fifth point that I'm going to share in this part of the message is the release. Arrows were not meant to stay in the bag, okay? Arrows were meant to be taken out, shafted, pulled back, aimed, and what? Released, let go. There will come a time where your son, your daughter will leave your home First, maybe for school, which is close or far away. Secondly, when they marry or are given into marriage as daughters. And you know what? That is an experience for every mom. Dad, somehow they take it differently. But my wife had a hard time giving my older son away to another lady. <laughs> we, have a, we have two wonderful daughters-in-law. They're awesome. But letting go is hard. Hello? <laughs> But wait, you're not there yet. <laughs> when you do get there, you'll remember my words that you are not meant to tie your child to your apron strings. 
You are not meant to clip their wings like you do a parrot that you don't want to fly and you want them to stay in the house, right? So people clip their wings. It doesn't hurt. It's the edge of their wings, and they can't lift. They can't fly high. No, parents were not meant to clip their children's wings. They were meant to give them wings. And as you give them wings, you know what? They're going to spread them. And they're going to take off. And you're just like, please come back. <laughs> please fly back to home sometimes, right? All of that in its time. So let's take the very first point. Why, are, why is a son or a daughter like a sharp point of an arrow? Well, we talked about effectiveness. Do you want your children to be effective as they grow? Do you want them to make a difference in their generation? Of course you do. So the question is, how do you sharpen their point? Now, look at the form and shape of an arrow. It's wide and it's broad. It could be made of metal. It could be made of flint stone. It could be made of different materials today. Yes, there are, there are arrows that just are a sharpened stick, okay? But every point of every arrow has to come to a focus point. And Natasha mentioned that. I'm just sitting there listening and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you, you want this said twice. The goal is to increase effectiveness. Now, every child is given gifts by God. There's two kinds of gifts, at least. There's your natural gifts, which are hereditary. Are you following? You could be tall, you could be short, you could be dark-haired or light-skinned or dark-skinned. These are giftings and being unique after the image of God. You as a parent don't choose those things. DNA is a funny thing, isn't it? <laughs> you could have a, a, I'm tall, my wife is short. Five, one and three quarters. And the three quarters is very important. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. So we're, they're born. I have a tall son and I have a medium son, right? I don't choose those things. God does. Now, you take their natural skills. You take the gifts that they're born with. Now, your job when they're small children and, and in a church, you sharpen them. By the way, Kid Zone is amazing. Let me just stop just a minute and promote Kid Zone for you. What is Jesus' priority in the church? He gives it to Peter in John chapter 21. Today at lunch... With Pastor Vlad, I brought this up and his eyes got big, right? And like, wow, I didn't know that. Because it's sometimes you see verses and you know what they mean, but you don't see the priority of the verses. Okay, Peter was asked three times if he loved him. He hung his head. You know the story. You know all things, Lord, right? And then Jesus directed him three times. Anybody remember what Jesus said those three times? Feed? Ah. Pastor Leah got it. Most people say, feed my sheep. You know, he doesn't start with sheep. Jesus said the word lambs, which are the little sheep. You following? Come on, come on. He said, feed my lambs first. That's the first priority of the church. Then he said, Peter, care for my sheep. And then he said, feed my sheep. So the sheep, which are middle-aged or teenagers or older or uh, senior citizens, like right? 
they already are established in the faith. But they need food as well. We need to feed them the word of God. But watch the priority of Jesus. He put lambs at the beginning of our priority list. Now, the church is not the main one responsible for feeding your children lambs. The parents are. But the church is here to supplement what you do at home with your children. So that is the proper understanding. I hope I got that out of the way. So sharpening the point of the arrow is taking the rough natural abilities of your child and sharpening them. For example, they have a musical ear. Well, you could teach them an instrument or, or pay someone to teach them how to play piano, right? I uh, had musical ability. I can't read music. I can't read notes. But I have an incredible ability to hear music in my head. And for the 26 albums we produced, I, I arranged all the voices. And nobody sang anybody else's part. I can hear it in my head. So, you know, I, after many years of doing that, you focus, you sharpen your ability. Now, Ecclesiastes, the wisest preacher, the wisest teacher named Solomon, he gave this interesting verse, which is good for teachers, it's good for preachers and communicators, and it goes like this. If the iron is blunt and you don't sharpen the edge, more strength is needed. But wisdom helps you to succeed. So think of a sharp arrow, or for some of you in the kitchen, think of a sharp kitchen knife, or some of you that have a wood-burning furnace or fireplace or sauna, wood-burning Think of a sharp axe. No, think of a blunt axe, a blunt knife, a blunt arrow. Does it penetrate? No. What happens when you try to cut a tomato with a very dull kitchen knife? You torture it. <laughs> you squash it. The juice comes out, but you didn't cut anything. <laughs> You're not effective. How do you chop wood with an axe that is dull? More blows are needed. That's why preachers have to sharpen their skills. Otherwise, end up pounding on the people. <laughs> Is that true or what? And people are like, doof, doof, doof. sharpen the edge and we'll get it. <laughs> Don't beat on us. Solomon said that we have to sharpen skills. Now, let's talk about the ways. This is where it gets practical. Three ways to sharpen the natural abilities of your children. First of all, discipline is the first thing that we teach children. Secondly, we are the first educators, and then that is supplemented by grammar school, uh, Christian school, public school. To give you a note, I went to public school all my life. High school as well. Public schools are dangerous because you have... All kinds of bad things that kids do in school. But for me, it showed me what is black and what is white. Christian schools are great because you protect your children from some of the ugly stuff. But then there's more gray. <laughs> they don't see black and white. They see, well, whatever, well this guy's doing it. He's going to Christian school. So there's pluses and minuses to both, okay? But you are the first educators and the school supplement your education. Church supplements the education. We'll talk about it. Then a work ethic. Who teaches a kid not to be lazy? You do or you don't. <laughs> a child is lazy by birth. There's the unusual child that's a helper. 
Praise God for those kids. <laughs> Mom, can I help? Mom's like, whoa. <laughs> How many of you said, I, help us with the dishes? They're deaf. They, they're, they don't hear it, right? <laughs> Let's go for ice cream. Oh, okay. <laughs> Selective hearing. Let's take uh, discipline first. Here are the principles of discipline. Now, I allow you to disagree with me because I'm going to say some radical things you may not accept, you may not want to practice, and that's okay. You do it your way. I can only tell you how I understood things and I tried to follow scripture and I found it really, really, really effective. Before you make any rules in your house, my first suggestion to you is don't make your house full of rules. The less rules you have, the more they will actually keep the rules you do want them to obey. Choose some excellent rules. Choose well. Pick your battles. Don't battle over everything. Then we nag. Then the kids say, Mom, you, you never say anything. But you're always like on me. Right? Especially teenagers. They love to. But that's a, that's a special case. Let's put teenagers to the side for now. For now. Have reasonable rules. My dad came from Ukraine. He was a Pentecostal. But he went to American Bible school in Poland. And my dad didn't have a lot of rules in the house. But man, we were well behaved. Because the few rules that my dad had, they were good rules. In fact, we didn't want to break those rules. And I saw a modeling of grace versus law, law, law. Do, don't, don't, don't do this, don't do this. Well, kids don't want to hear just don't. They want to hear what can I do? What should I do? So make rules that are reasonable. Second, avoid extremes. There are permissive parents where the kids can do everything. And then there are the other extreme. Parents, they don't trust their kids for anything. No, you can't go there. No, 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 no. I'll tell you a story. My, um, we try to have sleepovers for my daughter because the girls want sleepovers more than guys do, right? And so my daughter oh, I want to have the girls in the sleepover, have a pizza party. So my wife said, I'm going to work 530 in the morning as a nurse. You stay up with those girls. I'm like, oh, man. We ordered pizza and maybe eight girls came. I think there were 10 or 12 at the time, right? No, they were actually uh, teens at the time. And so finally, I said to the girls, keep it down to a roar. Okay, please, I'm going upstairs to sleep now. So at 1 o'clock in the morning, they're making pyramids. You know those cheerleader pyramids. <laughs> goofing around, laughing, fine. They're sleeping at our place downstairs, all on blankets and what have you, cushions. Two o'clock in the morning, my daughter, Larissa, comes to me on the phone. It's Angela's dad. I go, Larissa, we're sleeping. No, no, he doesn't believe that his daughter is here at a sleepover. Talk to him, dad. True story. I go, hello? Who is this? I go, this is Larissa's dad. What's your address? He doesn't believe me. 2206, you know, I told him the, the address. He's just, what's your phone number? I go, 704906. <laughs> well, why are you asking me the question? I don't believe you're Larissa's father. I go, you're Angela's dad? He goes, yeah. 
I said, guess what? Your daughter is here and you are freaking out and you don't trust your daughter. Have a nice night. She's well taken care of. Good night. <laughs> and you know what it told me? That he as a teenager did stuff he's embarrassed about, right? He snuck out and did bad stuff and so did his wife. And maybe he did it with his wife when she was not his wife. So he doesn't trust Angela at all. But Angela's a good kid. She wouldn't do any of that stuff. Man, that's an extreme dad, right? <laughs> Avoid that extreme. Your, your daughter is talking to the, Larissa's dad and you don't even believe him. But I tried to make my voice lower. <laughs> Third rule. Do you know when you, don't want to, you know when you really want to discipline your kids? When you get mad. When they break something, right? I'm going to tell you another story. And if I told any of these stories last time I was here on parenting, just forgive me, you're going to hear it twice. So over our couch, we had a beautiful painting. It was Oakland Bay in San Francisco. It was a moonlit night. There's a beautiful sailboat, right? And the moon is shining on the waters. I mean, it was huge. It matched the color of the blue fabric sofa we had, a beautiful new sofa, right? Really nice. And the painting... I don't know, it was my arm's width and that high. It was a beautiful, beautiful furniture painting hanging on the wall. So once a month, we had a date night with my wife. We didn't have a lot of money, but I considered it an investment to take my wife out. She doesn't have to cook. She doesn't have to clean the dishes. We can go out and pay a babysitter. Then we have a date night. It's a romantic night. You know, we're a young couple. Fantastic. So we go out. We have a date night. We have a sitter we pay the sitter Saturday morning I wake up and I go to the living room and there is a hole in my painting about the size of a tennis ball I mean somebody threw it hard and I mean it broke right through I call the boys over their names are Andrew and Luke AJ AJ and Luke I said uh, take a look at that uh, uh, hole in the painting Nobody knows anything. And I'm getting mad. I love that painting. I said, that hole did not appear there magically. Do you know how I got there? I said, what did daddy say in a menacing voice? And so one of them blurted out, well, I told him not to throw the ball. Yeah, but you didn't catch it. <laughs> ah, they were playing... I said, okay, what was the rule? And this was one of the few rules I had. You can throw the ball in the hallway, nothing to break. You could throw the ball in your bedroom, trash it, okay? We, we child-proof their bedroom, right? Just, you know, they broke so many door basketball hoops, I just kept buying them dunking. <laughs> but in the living room, mommy and daddy have nice things. You don't throw the ball. There were seven and five or eight and six, I forget. So what does daddy have to do? And I'm, switch, I'm just showing you that I got them to change places with me. And so one of them hopefully says, forgive us. <laughs> I said, no, because you're going to do it again. So then I used discipline. Now, I was brought up where spanking was allowed. Okay, And you know, spanking is so misunderstood. The Bible says to use the rod. For if you use a rod, you will not kill him. But here, it actually says he will not die. 
I could quote it. It's in my book. <laughs> in Proverbs, use a rod, he will not die. <laughs> but here's the thing. Child abuse comes from incredible explosions of anger. And people overdo it. Secondly, never discipline in any method, whether you use time out, the rod, a belt, or something else, when you're angry. So I would actually literally count to 10. And I would say 1,000, 2,000. I would walk away. And my anger would cool down because I get angry fast and it's over fast, okay? I'm not a char char Charlie Charcoal that keeps on burning, right? I'm Freddy Firecracker. <laughs> and it's gone. Here's what happens, though. When you count to 10, when your anger cools down, you don't want to discipline. You actually want to give them a pass. But if you do, then you've gone against your own rule, right? So then I had a prescription already set up. I said, okay, daddy has to discipline you. And I kind of explained it, right? I informed them. Uh, by the way, did you know that yelling at your kids is so ineffective? Because they know that if you're a yeller, you have to yell to the fourth degree, the fourth time, and then you really mean it. Pick up your toys. No, no result. I said pick up your toys. No result. Pick up your toys. No result. Yank them out. I said pick up your toys. Okay. <laughs> Why are you wasting enemy energy four times? My daughter picked this up real quick. She's a mom. She says, first time obedience. Okay, come on. Oh, do it. I'll do it. And she disciplines, right? <laughs> so funny. She learned from me. <laughs> So then I would take him in the bedroom. Uh, I never embarrassed one child in front of another. Take them separately. And then I sat down on the bed. I said, okay, daddy is going to give you three, four, or five, depending on the, on, the, on the severity of the violation of the rule. You know what? I never did more than three. Hot ones. Never take their pants down. That's, in, that's shaming them. Don't shame your children. That's not the purpose. I would say turn over, and God made a beautiful, round, soft area that, that will exactly receive those lashings without damage. And I would do it so it would sting. One, two, three. I said, you could cry, but softly. Because <laughs> they will dramatize it. They will just like... You want another one? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> so AJ, the oldest, he would take it like a man, like a soldier. He, he was a rules follower. My second son, Luke, he was more of a lawyer. <laughs> wait, wait, Dad, let me explain. Okay, so I was standing there, and he was standing there. I told him not to throw the ball. He throws the ball. But Daddy threw it wide. How am I going to leap across the room and catch the ball when he threw it wide? Folks, I wanted to laugh. It was funny. I'm biting my lip not to, because you're going to mess up. You're going to ruin it if you laugh. I'm like, are you done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, turn it over. No, no, there's more. There's more. There's more. So he threw it like 45 degrees, and I, and it, Dad, I couldn't catch it. 
Dad, I won't do it again. I said, no, Luke, after this, you certainly will not do it again. Turn over. And I would give them three hot ones. Now, here's the thing. That they would cry, I would never leave the room. I sit there, give them a minute, give them two. And I said, come, Daddy loves you. They would always, not once did they not, crawl into my arms, cry on my shoulder. I would hug them. They would go... <laughs> I said, we're not going to throw the ball again in the living room because we will go through this again. No, Dad, we won't. And they didn't. That's the way. If you do use spanking, never use your hand, okay? Use a neutral object. Your hand is to caress, okay? Your hand is to hold. Your hand is to touch. Touch is important for a child. It's affection. So I would use a belt, right? But I think one time Luke stuffed his pants with a lot of toilet paper because his yelling as crying was very fake. Always use a neutral object. By the way, uh, James Dobson says about yelling at your kids first, like four times. He says, getting your child to obey you is like trying to turn the car by honking the horn. I'll repeat that. Getting your child to obey you by yelling at them is like trying to steer a car by honking the horn. Honking has a purpose, but steering directs your child. So those are the principles of discipline that I consider uh, effective and that I used, okay? Now, in the principles of discipline... You have to understand and discern what is necessary at what age. So let me go through that. There is a progress from concrete to abstract. What do I mean by that? Concrete discipline means you make all the choices. Zero to two, the baby has no choice. The baby cries, hungry. You feed it, change it, put it down to sleep. Baby wakes up. Cries, hungry, poops the diaper, you clean it, and you play with it and put it to sleep. So after, before two years of age, there's no discipline. It's just caring for the child. Now, 2 to 12 is a critical time. During the ages of 2 to 12 years of age, you actually teach your child discipline. You actually teach your child a work ethic, Right? And you sharpen the skills of your child by teaching them how to do chores. And we'll get into all of that. So there are choices you make when they're three and four and five. You say, no, you will not have ice cream. Eat your carrots first. Makes sense, right? You choose for the child. But your job now is to prepare them for the abstract. Okay, so how do you prepare your child to understand not just the concrete discipline, you're going to get hot ones, but is what you did right or wrong? So I would appeal to their conscience, not guilt them, but ask them, okay, is it right to disobey your parents? What does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says to honor your parents. That's right. That's a teaching moment, right? 
I asked them, I turned it around. I said, what would you do if you were a parent and I broke your painting? I wouldn't like it. You see what I'm saying? It's a teaching moment that not only do you just let go because you're mad and something bad happened. But what you do is you appeal to their conscience. Always love and comfort afterwards. And then discuss exactly what Natasha says. What did you learn from this? What is the lesson that came from all of this? Now, after age 12, I would never use uh, physical spanking. Never. Spanking is only effective in childhood because really they don't understand. Now, some people, like some of my kids like time out. But now I think I've convinced all of them that time out is not as effective. <laughs> the kids will go and they'll sit there. You know what? They'll find something to play with in that place of time out. <laughs> kids are creative. <laughs> and God forbid they have a secret phone in their pocket or a tablet hidden away somewhere. Go to your room. <laughs> yeah, real discipline, right? No, no. And, and you know what? After 18, basically, you have to let your child fly. If we didn't do our job to 18 years of age, we're not going to do it at 20 and 22. Are you following this? We want our kids to be saved at 18. No, I want my kids to be saved early in their childhood. I want them to understand the, 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 the ways of God and, and consequences in a very good light. And that's when you do that. So 2 to 12 is concrete heading towards abstract. 12 to 18, the discipline has to be mostly abstract. Okay? You're grounded. Okay? No devices. Okay? No TV. Okay? You have to, you're not allowed to go out. And things like that. All right. Let's go further. Now, let's go to the second point of discipline. What about education? You will quickly discern, is your child a thinker or is your child a doer? Would they love physical things with their hands? There are children that are better suited to the trades. And trades are honorable. We need electricians. Amen. We need plumbers. We need engineers. We need people who do physical labor because America and the country and the world runs on people who do things, who build things. There is a point where too much education makes people talkers and not doers. We have university professors who think they know everything and never did anything. Now, I'm not anti-education because my kids have doctorates. But they're applied sciences. Are you seeing what I'm talking about? And a, education must have an outlet where something is produced even in the lives of other people that is positive. So where do you start? You have to start when the kids are in second grade. Let me, let me tell you, it is the most horrible thing in the world to sit while your kid does homework. And you hated math, and now you have to do math with him. And, you, and they don't understand a problem, and you have to figure that problem. I'm in the hours I spend and Esty spend with our kids. Like, but you know what? The sad thing is my dad and my mom couldn't speak English, and I had to do my homework all by myself, and my reports, and my math, and I struggled, and I didn't want my kids to struggle like that. That's what a parent can help them 
get good study habits. In fact, we had the blessing of being close to a park wherever we lived in New Jersey. So I said, hey, guys, if we get our homework out of the way, I'll go. I came from work, you know, when I could at 4 o'clock, right, from the church office from 9 to 4, right? And Esty would work two days a week or three, depending on how, how many kids and how, how young they were, at the hospital as a nurse. So I had a lot of the co-parenting jobs. I said, if we get our homework out of the way, I'll ride bikes with you. I had a bike. They had two bikes, one each. And Larissa, I would duct tape a big pillow. She would sit on that, put her helmet on, because she could never keep up with us. One time we went down such a steep hill. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I'll have to tell this story. It's a great story. So we went on top of this hill. And, you know, I did it by myself, and it didn't seem so dangerous because I have a 10-speed, and you could, you know, backpedal, and you have brakes front and back, and I'm big. Well, AJ had three-speed, but Luke had a one-pedal fast bike that doesn't go backwards. And you can't, you could just use the brake for the, the pedal for the brakes, pushing back. But if you go more than 30 miles an hour, those pedals go... <laughs> and his two legs are standing out like this. And we went down this will, hill, and I'm looking at him. He had terror on his face. The poor kid was 10 years old with two legs sticking out. And his pedals, a blur. And we went faster and faster and faster. And finally, somehow he jammed on the, the brake at the end. And we made it. And I had Larissa on the handlebars on a pillow. Can you? I said, please don't tell mom. <laughs> We're at supper that night. Hey, mom, do you know what will we, hill we went? I said, shh, you took my kids down that hill. <laughs> do homework early versus late. Okay, don't raise your hands. Do not raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. How many of you had kids who were doing their homework? They tell you that the homework has to be in tomorrow at 10 o'clock at night. And at 10 p.m. at night, you're doing kids' homework with him. Whose fault is that? Yours. Because don't believe them when they say they have no homework. They're lying. <laughs> Go into their book bag. Pull out everything. And there should be homework in there. Do it early versus late. And you know what? Your kids will never get into college unless you prepare in their junior year in high school of that. Well, I think these are easy things. Now... Let's go from discipline to education to a work ethic. Who teaches responsibility? Does it come magically? No. You have to give your child tasks. A small job. Okay? They don't like it. It's the hardest thing in the world. Isn't it faster if you do it yourself, mom? Of course it is. So what did you do? You made their beds for them. Oh. Hey, mom. Mom's a good servant. You washed all the dishes. You vacuumed. You picked up their toys. No, no, don't do that. Their toys are all over the place. We'll have a place where they have bins and have the, before the kid leaves the room, you have to pick up your toys. They, it's, it's, it's a struggle for us and for anybody. Teach them home chores. And you know what? My kids found jobs when they were 16. Now, the easiest job, if they're athletic, is lifeguarding. You can take them into the town, and you can get them registered with parental permission at 15, and they can do small jobs in a supermarket, or they can do uh, lifeguarding. And all three of my kids learn how to work very early in their lives. 
Let's move on to the second uh, point. Stability. How do, how do you give stability to your children? Well, you have to provide security. And there is a point where you build self-worth, but you don't overpraise your child where they become narcissistic, which means self-centered. Praise is a beautiful thing, but it has to be wisely spoken, not on their beauty, okay? Oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're so cute. We always give those a compliment. The better compliment that will not make them swell-headed or narcissistic, self-centered, is to say, good job. Wow, you're faithful. Thank you for your obedience. Oh, I'm so pleased with what you did for daddy or mommy or this or that. And you know what? Unconditional love, Natasha mentioned it. That's part of acceptance. Encouragement. Encouragement is the best positive uh, input you give your child. Do you know that the heavenly father encouraged Jesus in his first step of public obedience in his ministry. You know when that happened? You do. At his water baptism. Now, Jesus got water baptized, not because he was a sinner and needed to repent. John said, you should baptize me. And Jesus' answer was very wise. He said, no, I need to fulfill all righteousness. And so John agreed and John baptized him. The Father in heaven, seeing the obedience of the Son. By the way, Hebrew says, although Jesus was the Son, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Imagine God being obedient to his parents at 12. Imagine God being obedient to his heavenly Father at 30. That the Father in heaven was pleased. What did he say in his satisfaction? He verbalized it. <laughs> You know, Americans do this easier. Slavic people hardly ever encourage. <laughs> if you do something bad, you'll hear about it. But you do something right, well, you, that, you should have done that. Tak должно быть. Tak i treba. No, 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 no. Say, good job. So the Father in heaven said about Jesus, this is my, what kind of son? Beloved son. And what about him? I am well pleased. He verbalized it on three occasions with those words. On the Mount of Transfiguration was another. And another time when Greeks came to see Jesus. And Jesus said, I've come to glorify your name. And the Father said it again. Do you know that Jesus did that with Peter? Right before Peter would be the, do the ugliest thing he ever did in his life. The worst sin he ever committed to deny his Lord and his Savior. And you know what Jesus did? He said, Peter, you're going to stumble. Peter, Satan has asked you to sift you, to crush you. Peter, you're going to stumble. You're going to fall. I, I see it. But Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you are converted, that is, when you really repent, come back. And then strengthen your brothers. By the way, Jesus told lots of parables. Remember the parable of the five talents, the two talents, and the one talent, Right? What did Jesus say to both the first two when they did their jobs? He brought five more. He brought two more, correct? What did Jesus say to those people in the parable? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. 
enter into my joy. You have to verbalize encouragement. And encouragement is the fuel that will reinforce positive behavior. When your child does the right thing, verbalize it. When they obey a good, reasonable rule, praise them for it. I'm going to tell you another story. This happened in my, in my young years. I became a pastor at 28. I knew everything. Just ask me. I could tell you the answer to anything. <laughs> at least I thought I did. Young people are full of confidence. By the way, the verse that the Lord kept on speaking to my heart was, the self-sufficient fool falls flat on his face. I've done that so many times in my life because I was very confident. I was very um, extroverted. And when I just became pastor, my dad retired and he sat in the first pew just listening to his son preach. I have four sisters. I'm the only son, right? So I was the joy of his heart. And so I prepared this message. I'm going to just slay the crowd. This is going to be amazing. And in my pride and in my arrogance and in my overconfidence, I fell flat on my face. I said what I didn't want to say. I didn't say what I wrote down to say. In other words, it was a disaster. It was a terrible sermon. And I knew it. I put my head down. And I don't want to greet anybody. You ever have those embarrassing moments where you've messed up publicly? Not something evil or bad, but you're embarrassed. I put my head down. I'm heading up the church. And then my dad, he's only 5'6". He's a small man. He stopped me. His son, he said, good sermon. I looked up. I said, Dad, you know, and I know, that was a terrible sermon. But you're my dad, and that's why you said that. He laughed. He chuckled. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Even agreed. <laughs> and then he said these words. But son, you are a gift from God to me. I looked in his eyes. I wanted to see if he really meant it. You know what? His eyes were glistening because he saw I was in pain. And he said that I was a gift from God to him. You know something, men? That meant to me more than anything other men thought of me in that moment. You know men need affirmation from other men. And when we receive a little light of affirmation, when we need it most, we feel like Tarzan. We feel like we can do anything. And then we don't care what other people say because the man who is most important in my life is my dad. And he is proud of me. Fathers, I want you to do that with your sons and your daughters. You will give them fuel to be magnificent kids. You will energize their motivation by giving praise at an opportune time when they need it the most. And then another way you give stability to your kids is you define your family values. Now remember, you have to say to your child, look, every family is different. You know why you have to say that? Because your kids will say to you, Dad, everybody does that. Everybody in my class has that, whether it's a cell phone or a tablet. Dad, they allow their kids to do that. Now, you pick and choose what activities you say yes or no to, correct? But this is what you must teach your child. 
in our family, we have our values. Now, it's not a matter of right and wrong, and it's not even a matter of sin or permissible. It's a matter of what we allow our family to do or we don't. And you'll just have to make your values when you're a parent. Kids won't like it, but they will understand it. Are you following? So you establish your family values. By the way, as a pastor, I did not have family devotions with my children every day. I did pray with them every morning. And I'll tell you maybe a little bit further about that. But once or twice a week, we would have a family gathering. And keep your devotions not more than 10 minutes. Kids have the attention span of a gnat. Read just a few verses of scripture. Now, Pentecostals like to pray all at once in a concert of prayer. But you know what? I had the three children and my wife and I, five. So I said, let's pray in a circle. Okay, mom, you start. AJ, Luke, Marissa, and I'll finish. And we would pray in a circle. In this way, I kept my finger on the pulse of my kids' spiritual lives. You get it? Following this, right? And when they're like little it's never too young to start. My kids were three years old. As soon as they said, dad, dad, mama, well, I want, I have, please. Then I said, okay, let's pray. We kneel by their bed at night. And I say, repeat after me. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus. <laughs> thank you for the day. Thank you for the day. When they're about four, you'll know the age, okay? I said, now you pray by yourself. And they do. When my child was seven, I had... I was pastoring all this time. So I was home, 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 home. And then the Soviet Union fell, and God was calling me to do missions work, right? And I'd go once, twice, and then end up going about four or five times a year. But I'd commute, right? Come back. So I said to my seven-year-old son, I said, Daddy has to go to Ukraine to preach the gospel. So I have to be away. So my, dad, so my son, he didn't understand nights or days. He said, Daddy... How many sleeps is that? <laughs> he knew sleeps, right? So I said, give me your fingers. One, two, three, four, five. And five more. Ten sleeps. He looked at his ten sleeps. Dad, that's too long. I don't want you to go to Ukraine. He loved his dad. So then I made it a teaching moment, right? Jesus always taught as the thing, you know, they're walking by uh, a vineyard. And then he talked about a vineyard, right? They're talking about a man sowing a seed, and he talked about it. So I said, AJ, I said, Daddy has to go only to tell people about Jesus. And so when I'm done, I'll come back, and I'll buy you something. I hope, you know, I'm bribing you, right? He didn't say anything about that. Time to go to bed. Okay, AJ, you pray first, then Luke, okay? And Larissa was really small then. He prays, Dear Jesus, I don't want my dad to go to Ukraine. I mean, he's honest, right? I mean, that's honest. And I wait to see what happens next. But Jesus, I know he has to tell people about you. Bless my dad and bring him back home safe. Amen. I had a lump in my throat. I thought this little boy loves his dad. He's honest about not wanting me to go. But he understands we have a higher power that we are under the authority of. And he gave me to Jesus for those days. That's a big sacrifice for a little boy. When my daughter started to cry or complain, Daddy, do you have to go? I said, Larissa, I don't want to leave you. I want you to send me. Put your hand on my back, okay? Okay? 
She's 10 now. I said, send daddy to the mission field and Jesus will be with you while I'm gone and I'll pray for you every day. So she would say, Jesus, but, and as she prayed, she released me to God. <laughs> so these are things that are challenges, but you define your family values. Now, the third part of the arrow is that straight piece of wood. It has to be straight. Let me use the word balance. Now, what would you say are the priorities? How many ministers, well, that's getting too close. How many missionaries, how many away evangelists have saved the world and lost their children? You might know of some. So how do we do the work of the ministry and save others, but not lose our own children? Well, you see, your ministry is not the first priority of, God, of your life. God is. Your devotion to God goes above wife, children, and everyone you love. Because you have to love God more than anything. Jesus even said that. Having said that, your second priority, believe it or not, is your wife, your husband, and your family. Your ministry is not placed above your children. They asked Billy Graham, who was one of the most successful evangelists ever, if he could do one thing over again, what would it be? He said, not to be away from my family as long as I was. I could tell you other personal things about Billy or Franklin, because I've worked with them, with Franklin. And that is a challenge. And so we have to balance how long we are away. Lauren Cunningham, who began Youth of the Mission, was a great influence in my life. He, in Ukraine, I took him to Ukraine. He, he wanted to be in every country of the world, and he chose me to take him to Ukraine. And we're in the car, and he told me something that changed my life. He said, George, how long should you think you should be away from your children? I said, I don't know, Lauren. What do you think? He said, I have friends who've lost their children to ministry. They've saved the world, and their kids went into the world. He said, I asked God how he had two children that are now grown adults. He said, how do I keep my children from walking away from church when I'm gone? Because I'm not there. They were teenagers. And God took them to the place where the wisest man built the house of God. Solomon, right? When Solomon hired workers, what did he do? He hired them for 30 days, watch this, and then he sent them home for twice that amount. They worked 30 and they were home 60. He says, it's not a law, okay? It's not a commandment, but it's an effective spiritual principle, if you could discern the difference, right? He says, never be away from your children or family more than 30 days. I never was away more than 15 days. That was my limit. I did half. <laughs> and never be away more than one-third of your time. So as I shifted from pastoring to being a missionary, my kids were little, and we made a decision not to move to Ukraine because I wanted their schooling to be in America, and, and, and it proved to be right. We prayed about it. But none of my kids went into the world, not one day. Because I did not, that's God, that's God, that's God. 
That's God. They knew that they were my first priority when I was a pastor and when I was a missionary. And then I took them each on mission trip when I could. God, family, church, or ministry. And then it's your work. Men can be workaholics. Is this true? Men find their identity in their mission, in their calling, in their success, whether they're good carpenters, plumbers, uh, preachers, um, executives, CEOs, corporate people. They find they can work and work and work and make lots of money. I got news for you. Your kids don't want money. They want you. I did a Facebook quiz. One question Facebook quiz. At that time, I had 8,000 followers on my page. Not a lot, but anyway. They're mostly Slavic kids, <laughs> both in Ukraine and here, right? It was a one-question quiz, and it says, what do you think is the number one need in Slavic churches? <laughs> what a loaded question, right? This is with a Russian or Ukrainian emphasis. Well, I expected that the number one answer be more English, right? <laughs> one kid said, better Wi-Fi in church. <laughs> What is the number one need in Slavic churches today? Well, more English was number three. Number two was, and this is more not about your church, because you have excellent communicators here. And I'm not just saying that. You really do. I wish my pastor would prepare better sermons. <laughs> Whoa, what an indictment of preachers, right? Kids will listen, but do your job, right? I was shocked to read the number one answer. You want to hear the one, number one answer? That kid said is the number one need in Slavic churches. I would take the word Slavic out of there. The number one need in churches today, they said, and I tallied them, I wish my dad spent more time with me. Drop the mic. Dude, hey, nobody's shouting amen here. Nobody is like, hallelujah. We're like, oh, oh, it's me. <laughs> yeah, it's me too. I wish my dad spent more time with me. Boys get their identity from their father. And we have a crisis, not of poverty in America, not of bad neighbors. We have a crisis of fathers. If we had father, most of the men in jail either had no father or a really bad father, an alcoholic father, an abusive father. And that's why I wrote a book for fathers. It's coming out in about a month in my father's house. You can go to georgedavidduke.com and download it Amazon. That's my first book, and it has all this stuff in it. All right, number four. <laughs> Natasha hit the, hit the target. She says, you have to have a target. <laughs> Give your children directions. Arrows need a well-defined target, vision, and goals. You actually will hit something if you aim, right? Now, this is specific to me, but I want to throw it out to you. Because I believe this was not just for me, that it's applicable to every dad and to every mom if you have vision from God. Now watch, you'll have to track this. I had an argument with my father. I think I said this last time I was here or the time before. Why do I have to go to stinking Ukrainian school on Saturday mornings? And my dad answered. He said, 
because one day the borders will open and you'll speak and preach in your native language. My dad saw that. I call this active listening, not to the child, to God. Now, parents, you will not call your children to a vocation. Case in point, my father was a minister. He did not call me to ministry. He heard from God that God would call me. And then God revealed to him the direction of the target. God would shoot this arrow. This arrow. That's what he mentioned to me. And I fought it and fought it until I went to the Soviet Union at age 19. And God slew me. My heart broke when I saw those Christians on fire for God. That's a long story. Well, you may say, well, that's specific to you, George. Wait, 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 wait. When my wife was five years old, her grandfather, who happened to be named George, was dying of cancer. They visited him in his bedroom. And of the five sisters, of the five girls in her family, Esty's the middle child. I'm the middle child. Esty took a rag in cold water, squeezed it, and she went to Grandfather George's forehead and would dab his forehead. And he said to her, Esty, Esty, you are my nurse. <laughs> Whoa, from a man who's dying of cancer. He planted a seed. I think God gave that to him. And my wife became a nurse. What do you think? Coincidence? Well, there's something third that happened with my children. And it's in the book. I prayed for Esty to get pregnant. because She was having difficulty. I went to the church office and I said, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him into ministry. And so forth. So God said, he'll be a doctor. I'm like, what? I said, God, wait, wait, wait. The firstborn belongs to the Lord. He could be a pastor. He could be a minister. He could be an evangelist. He could be a professional preacher. God said, I said he will be a doctor. Now, don't ask me why God called him to be a doctor. But I think it's because he wants to call his grandson Graham. They named him Graham after Billy Graham. That's another story. You know, listen to what your child loves. Listen to what they say. By the way, at eight years of age, my son comes to my mom, to my wife. He says, Mom, I know what I want to be when I grow up. She said, what, son? I want to be a doctor. Did you talk to dad? <laughs> no, mom. No. Why do you want to be a doctor? I don't know, Mom. I think it's in my heart. And he became a doctor. He's a surgeon. What goals do you have for your child? What vision has God given you a glimpse of? Whisper it to a heart. Do you know when, ba when baby Moses was pulled out of the river? Do you know what I think? Jochebed, his biological mother who became his nanny, said to him. She said, Moisha, Moisha, Moses, <clears throat> right? You're not Egyptian. You're Jewish. Don't forget. <laughs> you know, she whispered that to his heart as he grew in. He was the grandson of Pharaoh. Are you following? And when he became uh, a grown man and God called him at the age of 80, he refused to be called the son of the daughter of Pharaoh, right? Because of something that his mom whispered in his heart. Now we're coming to the end of our session, okay? Number five, and I'll release you to go. There's a second session that we'll give you with paperwork. That will be 14 habits, and they'll talk about some of the things I said and other things I didn't say. 
So I knew I wouldn't be able to say all of it. Arrows were not made to be left in the bag. They were made to fly. The num number one struggle with parents with kids is trust. How can I let my kids go? I don't trust them to do the right thing. That's your problem, Dad. That's your problem, Mom. Mom. You have to build trust. I did something crazy with my kids uh, in high school. I thought of their college years. What do kids do the first year at college away from home? They go crazy. Yes? Hello? They'll stay up all night, miss class, goof off because of freedom. <laughs> right? I said to my wife, I have an idea which is very radical, but I need you to agree, otherwise it won't work. What? I said, how about if we take off their curfew in their senior year at high school? She said, what? I said, no, no, seriously. Let him come home anytime he wants. But I know where he is, and I'll give him, then was a primitive flip phone, right? That's all it was. I would give him, you have to call me, and I'll wait for you when you come home. But... Rule number two, you have to go to school the next day. Dad said, I said, yeah, really? Yep. No curfew, senior year. Do you know he never came past 1 o'clock? He'd always come 11, 30, 12 o'clock. And that was doable. In his first year at college, two hours away, he did not go crazy. Because when you can do it, you don't want to do it. Are you following? <laughs> Whoa. So you build trust before. We did that with Luke. We did that with Larissa. None of them came late. Every one of them treated it as a privilege. And when I did have a curfew when they're juniors and sophomores, I said, 10.30. If you come 11 o'clock, next time you'll come home 10. I will take away a half an hour. If you come earlier, I will add a half an hour. They always came early. <laughs> I'm serious. That's how you build trust. And then there's a timing. And when the time to fly goes, you have to release them. One more thing, and I'll tell you a story and I'll finish. All right, preachers are always saying one last thing, right? <laughs> when your child marries, this is so important, everyone, because you've married. How many of you, don't raise your hands, your mom and your dad still want to interfere and tell you what to do? Now, advice is one thing. Counsel is one thing. But when a child gets married, they go out from under your chain of command to a chain of counsel. Are you following? So now my kids are all married. When I visit my grown children's homes, Andrew, Luke, Larissa, or Isaac, her husband, I sit down at the table when it's time to eat. I don't say a word. They say who prays. Their house, their rules. <laughs> Dad, would you pray? Yes, I pray. <laughs> More often than not, they'll pray. Don't start to command your children when they're already grown. Because then you're pushing your children away. Let me say this to you. That the hardest thing to do is to let I might have told this story, but I have to tell it again for those that didn't hear it or were not here. My test came when my son, firstborn, had to go to college two years away, two hours away, excuse me, right? And I had a list of things I wanted to tell him in my head. Don't 
get drunk, don't uh, get a girl pregnant, <laughs> don't steal anything, don't, 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 don't. Those, that was my rules, right? And God said, don't tell him any of those things. He knows them. So what do I tell him? I think that the reason why we say the don'ts because it makes us feel better. They're not listening. <laughs> right? <laughs> so we set him up in his room. It's time to say goodbye. What do I say? Tell him you believe in him. Tell him you trust him. And so I did. And he had tears in his eyes. He said, Dad, I will not let you down. And you know, he didn't let me down in those four years. He met the love of his life and uh, athletes of uh, and kids came up to me and spoke to me of his incredible um, Christian character. And all three of my children were real witnesses in college. Throw the last one on the board, and let's do them quickly. Children are our arrows, so sharpen their skill set. That's discipline, education, work ethic. Second, stabilize them. How? By giving them encouragement. Third, Give balance to that shaft of the arrow. How? By setting priorities for yourself and teaching them how to balance priorities. What comes first? God, family, ministry, work or school. Number four, give them direction. Aim them. And then five, let them go. Release them. And that is a question of timing. Would you stand with me? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you who are parents? <laughs> Can I pray for you single people who one day will marry and become parents? <laughs> Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time together. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that we could talk about the Word of God. And we pray that you would take the Word of God and make it something special for our children. Father, in the song called The Blessing, which was actually modeled on blessings of the Bible, your word said you would bless us to the thousandth generation of those who fear you. You said, I am with you. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. You, would say, you said you would bless the children of our children. And Lord, we hunger for that. Father, forgive us as dads if we've been lazy, if we've been irresponsible. Forgive us, Father, when we lose our temper. Forgive us when we just are gone and we are home but not engaged or participating in the rearing of our sons and our daughters. Forgive us if we give them things and not time. Forgive us if we said things that were abusive or wrong. Forgive us, I pray. Bless every mom who does double duty, cooks and cleans and works and prays. Help us to treat our wives as partners and help alleviate the load on their shoulders. And Father, take our sons and our daughters and raise them to be a hungry generation. Raise them up to be a powerful generation. Raise them up to be leaders of righteousness. And we give them to you. And I bless these dads and moms and single people here in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.
Amen. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this week's message. If you like what you've heard, you can find more of this great content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, and even Pinterest. In other words, we would love to connect with you for the latest and greatest info on all conferences and internships. Remember, better is not good enough. The best is yet to come.